Grab your Bibles with me, if you will. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 13. James 1 and 13. If you're app, you have your app, you can follow along with your app notes. Stay with us. If not, you can read on the screen. Your notes will be there. Of course, we love it when you bring your papal Bible to church. It's a wonderful thing. Y'all okay this morning? All right, it's going to be a good day. Verse 13, if you're there, say amen. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heaven. Can you say amen to the reading of the word this morning? We're in a series here where we are taking a look at where we are as a country, where we are as a society, and recognizing that when we leave this place, we walk out into a dark world, a world that is not for your walk with God, a, a world that is not trying to pull you closer, but rather separate you from God. And somehow, we have to figure out how to make sense of this Christianity thing of this gospel thing, of this good news thing, and figure out how to have a faith that works not only in the sanctuary of God, but when we go out into the world. James knew this. James recognized this, and he wrote this letter not only to us, but to people scattered throughout the world, to the, the saints of God, that were scattered in other cultures and other cities, other nations, and they too were trying to live out their faith in a dark world. So he gives us hope. He teaches us about a faith that works. Last week we kicked it off. He just got right down to it. And he said, when troubles come, when troubles come, it's, it's not about if troubles come, but it's when troubles come. He gives us uh, the first commonality known to all men, and that is that troubles will come in your life. No matter who you are, no, no matter what you think you have or everything you think you have going for you, troubles will come. I'm not trying to be discouraging here. It's just the realities of your life. The good news is that James gave us some solutions on how to make it through. First of all, we got to change our perspective. we got to consider troubles an opportunity for great joy. We change the way we think about it. We change the way we view it. Secondly, we have to know that there is a purpose, purpose when troubles come. God is trying to produce something in us. He's trying to mature us. He's trying to complete us. He's trying to perfect us. God is working on you. Number three, there is a process. Number one, we ask for wisdom. Number two, we have to anchor our faith in God alone. And number three, we have to line our mind and don't be tossed to the left and to the right like the winds of the sea. 
between faith and doubt, but anchor our faith in God and align our mind on the things of God. Uh, Bill, I'm going to need some water. So today, he goes on to the second commonality known to all men. The second thing we all face. The first was that troubles will come. The second is this, temptations will come. Temptations will come in your life. Paul wrote about it in his letter to the Corinthians. He said that, that there are things common to all men, and that are, those are temptations common to all men. There is nothing you face that other people don't face. As much as we try to make our, our temptation unique, and justify why we fell to that temptation, why we gave into that temptation, Paul is saying there is nothing you face that everybody else doesn't face. It's common to man. This is the second commonality that we face, that not only will troubles come, but temptations will come. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. I want to encourage you from the Word of God. Temptations will come. If you go through your week and you, you are never attempted to do anything wrong the entire week, will you just wave your hand at me really quick? You didn't have any temptation at all this week? Okay, nobody in the back. Sound booth, y'all good? Okay. All right, here's the point. We all here know that temptations are coming in our lives. So what are we going to do when they get here? What are we going to do? I, I, I think we ought to um, understand something. But, James gives us one path last week. He said, when troubles come, you can make a decision on what direction you're going. He's testing your faith. He's building perseverance. He's producing endurance and patience in you and, and perfecting things in you. And at the end of that road, at the end of that process, it leads to life. But now he's going to give us a different road. He's going to give us a different way, and it has to do with temptation. So what do we do? I, I want to ask four questions about temptation today and encourage you, because I think if we understand more about what temptation is, we can be better equipped to overcome it. You ever faced a problem in your life that you know that you're a smart person, but you don't even understand what's going on, so you don't know how to fix it? And you're just saying to yourself, if I could just wrap my brain around the problem, then I could find a solution. I think temptation is often the same way. We get, we get sucked in, not fully understanding it. Four questions. Number one is this. Does temptation ever stop? And it's no. The answer is no. If you think that you're going to get to some magical place in your walk with God, where he finally says, oh yes, you're good now. The rest of your life, you will never be tempted. That person who says that clearly does not have teenagers. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> like you say, man, I am good. I'm an, I, I, I've gone to Bible school. I'm an elder in the church. I serve faithfully. I'm a prayer partner. I am there. And then you have a teenage you pick it, whichever one you have. Because temptations come. 
We, we think that there is, this, there is this destination that we can arrive at, that we finally pass all the tests and we're never tempted again. I want you to know that it doesn't happen. I'm not trying to discourage you. I just don't want you to have unrealistic expectations because you can overcome the temptations in your life and you can defeat the enemy. And there are ways to make it easier on yourself. But if you think, if you think that you're just going to magically, man, if you think that you're going to be married long enough and you're going to have a great enough relationship with your wife that one day you'll just never be tempted by another woman again, you're fatally wrong. Because that's the way it works. Temptation just keeps on coming and keeps on coming and keeps on coming. The enemy's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. And we'll talk about why that is. But temptations are going to keep coming in your life. I don't know if any of you in the room, and you don't have to raise your hand, that's not the point here, but if you have ever been through or walked with someone that has gone through uh, AA or, or Alcoholic Anonymous, um, one of the things that they teach you is that they say, you know, forever you're a recovering alcoholic. You're not, and then you say, I'm five years sober, I'm one year sober, I'm six months sober, I'm 12 years sober. But one of the things that they teach you is it doesn't take but just a couple of drinks and you'll be right back where you are. I want to tell you this. One of the reasons we see so many, unfortunately, so many preachers fall is because they lose track of the fact that we're just one giving in to temptation away to being right back to the person we never said we would be again. And if it's true for preachers, and it's true for alcoholics. It's true for all of us. All right? Second question is this. Y'all, y'all are just really quiet. You're just staring at me this morning. I know, it's, I know we're talking about temptation, Pastor Randy. I ain't going to give me any amens today, Brother Dino. I'm just, it's okay. No one, no one even looks around. It's really funny. When we start talking about temptation in church and sin, no one looks around. It's eyes straight ahead. Men are afraid to say amen that their wife's going to be like, what are you talking about? You know, you just, you just. You know, uh, it's okay. Just know we all love you. So the second question is this. Who do we blame for temptation? Who do we blame for temptation? Who do we blame? You know, the, the first thought is we're going to blame God. God, what are you doing to me? You're testing me again. Here we go again, Lord. I thought I passed this test, and God, you are testing me. Let me just tell you, the Bible is clear. I'll read it to you again. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, do not say, God is tempting me. Why? Because he's never tempted to do, to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. God, in his very nature, cannot tempt you to do wrong. He can test you with troubles, but he cannot tempt you to do wrong. Remember, God's perspective of you is not to try to mess you up and get you to fail. No, God's perspective is try to lift you up and get you closer to him. It's a completely different mindset. He's not trying to trip you up. He's trying to lift you up. And so God, not only will he not tempt you, he cannot tempt you because it's not in his nature. He cannot do to you what he is unable to do himself. So he will not tempt you. So don't blame God. God, why did you, why did you do that again? No, it wasn't God. 
Well, who else might we blame? Who else might we blame? We might blame the devil. Ladies, that good-looking fellow walks by at work, those tight Wrangler jeans. <laughs> All muscled up, wearing that medium shirt when he really needs a large. <laughs> Y'all know the one I'm talking about? Don't. <laughs> right? And he walks by, rugged, just a glint of sweat. And you say, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> yeah? I know. Man, you're, not, you're no different, right? You're no different. You're walking down the mall, take one look, take a second look. The devil is a liar. Mm. <laughs> Praying your wife don't catch you. Knowing she did the same thing five minutes ago. No, no, no. We, we, we cannot blame the devil. Let me just tell you, temptation is not the devil's fault. I know this is going to mess with your mind for a minute here. Temptation is not the devil's fault. James is going to tell us very clearly whose fault temptation is, what the root problem of temptation is, and it is not Satan. So you can look and blame the devil all you want to and quote scriptures and say, get under my feet and everything you want to do. But at the end of the day, it's not God's fault and it's not Satan's fault. Here's the problem. Y'all want to know whose fault it is? Temptation comes, verse 14, from whose own desires? They come from my own desires which entice us and drag us away. Temptations do not come from the devil and they do not come from God. They come from what is already within me. My flesh is the problem. My own desires are the problem. Why do you think Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then he'll give us the desires of our heart, right? He's trying to change our heart to take out these temptations, these fleshly desires, and as we seek him, it removes those things from us because it isn't the enemy's fault, it's our fault. This is a, this is a challenging statement. And this is, but it is also a powerful statement because denial will keep us from moving our life forward and accomplishing problems. Do you know people in your life that every time something comes along, they blame, they blame other people? Been fired 17 times in the last three years. It was the boss, it was the coworker, it was the employer that lied on him, it was the jealous person, all those things. You've gone from job to job to job and blamed everybody. It was never once your fault, right? You can't deal with the problem if you don't recognize your own role in it. If I don't recognize that it is not it is not uh, the, 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 the thing that is tempting me. It's not their fault. It is my own desires. And if I don't deal with my own desires and my own flesh, I will never overcome temptation. It starts with me and it starts with you. I, I, I know this is difficult to wrap our mind around because it's a whole lot easier to blame the devil for tempting us. God, can you deal with the devil? He's tempting me again. Okay. You ever wonder why God didn't answer that prayer? Because God's going up there. If you'll just read James chapter 1, verse 14, you would know very clearly it ain't the devil's fault. It's you. 
It's me. When I fall to temptation, it's no one else's fault but mine because it starts with my own flesh and my own desires. Can I get an amen this morning? It, start, it starts with me. So, how does temptation work? How does it work? If it starts with my own flesh, if it starts with my own desires, how does it work? He says this, it's our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Remember, he gave us one pathway. We test our faith. We build endurance. We build perseverance. He, he makes us perfect and complete, and that leads to life. That was one pathway. Now he's given us the second one, and he starts with this. It's our own desires, and it's our desires which entice us and drag us away. This word entice here is a specific word that they used in the Greek, and it, it referenced fishing or hunting. Fishing or hunting. It means to bait, to, to throw bait in the water or put bait out to entice things to come in. Here's what happens. Here's the picture that um, James is trying to give us of what happens. There's a fish swimming in the water. Any fishermen in the room? All right, fish are swimming around and they are looking for something to eat. They're hungry and they are trying to fill a need. Something in them is saying, you keep swimming until you find food. So what does the fisherman do? The fisherman finds a lure, finds a bait that will look like good food. Not just any food, but the specific food that that fish is looking for. I don't know what fish eat. I'm not a fisherman. But whatever they're looking to eat, you throw that in the water. Why does that bait work when another bait doesn't work? Because when you, when you throw the bait in the water that the fish already wants, he assumes it's what he's been looking for all along. He has no idea that there is a hook in your bait, that there is a hook in his dinner, that there is a hook and, and what he has been swimming around looking for anyway. So he comes up to eat the minnow just like he has thousands of times before. But this time he grabs it and there's a hook in it. What do we as fishermen do? We set the hook and then we reel him in. And we get him in the boat. And how many of you know that a fish inside of the boat, outside of water, cannot live? It leads to death. So, remember now. It all starts with my own desires in me. These desires, everywhere I go, they are looking to be fulfilled. They are looking to be fulfilled. They are hungry and they are wanting more. They, they, they want me to eat the things of the flesh. My flesh and my body and my desires, they want to be satisfied. So they are looking. So all the enemy has to do is put the right bait in front of me and my desires that are already looking like the fish swimming in the lake, they're already looking to eat. Now we go and we eat the wrong thing. We, we don't even realize it looks so good and it looks so right and it felt so right, but there was a hook in it. Now, sin takes hold. Sin is allowed to grow. The enemy sets the hook and he begins to drag us in the boat. And here's the problem. Sin, when it is allowed to grow, when he gets you in the boat, it leads to death, just like the fish. 
This is the picture that he's giving us. All the enemy is doing is figuring out what you really want and making it look really good for you because you wanted it anyway. That's all he's doing. So if we don't deal with the desires of our heart, if we don't deal with the desires of our flesh, the enemy's job is very easy. It doesn't, it's not that hard. In today's world, it's not that hard to find sin. It's not that hard to be tempted. It's everywhere. He doesn't even have to get out of bed to tempt you if it's already in your heart. He's setting the hook and he's reeling us in. Opportunity comes along. We see what we've been looking for, what we've been desiring for, and though we may know something in our brain, something in our spirit is saying it's not right, there is something else deep inside of it that says, go for it. And our desire overcomes our fear of consequences, and we go after that temptation. We fight to get free, but sin has been allowed to grow. And now it's giving birth to death. So where we had faith leading to endurance and perseverance and completion and perfection leading to life, now we have temptation that leads to sin, which ends in death. James said, I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult, men. If he were in America today, he would say, you know, women don't feel necessary to wear many clothes anymore. And the less you wear, the more they can charge you for them and the better it is. And there's an opportunity to sin at every occasion. You open your Facebook, you open your email, you, you look around when you walk through the mall, and there's opportunity to sin everywhere. But he's saying, here's what, here's what James is trying to tell us. He said, well, it's just the culture we live in, Pastor Randon. James didn't understand. No, no, here's what he's trying to teach us. We could pick you up out of the culture you live in today and move you to anywhere in any part of the world in any point in time. And it would not matter because it isn't about what's walking around you. It is about what's living inside you. We, we as believers, and, and I think this is the challenge from James, stop making excuses because of the world we live in and deal with the root of the issue and go be light to the world. Go show the world that you can overcome temptation, that you can look away, that you can say no, that you can not fall into that trap because God is stronger in you than the temptation in front of you. So why is it so difficult to resist? James chapter 1 verse 16, don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't be misled. And the other versions say do not be deceived. The problem is with our thinking. The problem is it, it starts in our thinking. We get deceived and we get misled. We think the bait is everything we've been looking for because the bait promises what we think we need. The temptation promises to fulfill us. The temptation promises to, to, to fulfill the desires of our heart. But sin, while it may seem to fulfill you just for a moment, always leads in death. It always has a consequence every single time. But we get confused. You go back to Eve. Eve saw the apple. She wanted the apple. She was looking at the apple. Something in her said, I need this fruit. 
All the enemy had to do was come along and promise her that she would get what she was looking for if she went ahead and ate the fruit. That's what the enemy wants to do with your mind. He wants to mess you up. You already want it. He's not trying to create want in you. He's just convincing you that, yes, if you go ahead and do it, you'll get exactly what you're looking for. So James says, don't be misled and don't be deceived. Don't blame everyone else. Know what's going on. Know what's going on. My, my friend, uh, Pastor Damon Scapin, who pastors our uh, church in Triumph, D.C., he said it like this. Allurement builds its case on deceptive thoughts and empty promises. He drags us in because he deceives us in our mind and he promises things. Sin promises things that can never deliver on and will never deliver on. So it, it, that's how it builds its case. That's how it draws us in. Our faith tells us it's good. It's right. Go for it. Can I give you four quick practical steps to help you overcome temptation? And I could give you 20, but I'm just going to give you four right here. Number one is this. Watch out for compromising situations and seasons. Watch out for them. Just, just do your best to steer away. Like if you know, if you know that if you go to that restaurant, just by the name on the restaurant, men, you're going to be facing temptation, we might should not go there. It says it in the name. It's not trying to hide it. I'm sorry, that was too real. I, I was, let me think of another illustration. <laughs> Ladies, you knew what Fifty Shades of Gray or Fifty Shades of Black or whatever color it was was all about. And then you left there and the devil was messing with you and you were feeling all those things. That don't blame the devil. They told you, they showed you on every preview. Every time you looked online and said, how many cuss word, how much nudity has it in, everything said, don't go watch it, stop. No, we went anyway. We put ourselves in compromising situations, and then we feel so bad, and we have to come back and beg God to, for, for forgiveness because of what we did. And he's saying, listen, if you would have just avoided the compromising situation in the first place, now know this, there are some things you can't avoid, okay? But the ones we can we might should. Just because the whole world does it does not mean we should. It is okay to say no. Well, Pastor Ryan, I don't want anybody to think badly of me. Why not? Why not someone in your life realize that you are drawing a standard and drawing a line? No, I'm not doing this because it's not the right thing for me, for my walk with God, for my relationship with my wife and my family and my friends. Why not let other people know that you have lines? No, I'm not going to go there and I'm not going to do that. What would be so wrong with actually being different from the world? You know what I've found? I find when I draw lines, people don't shun me for it, they respect me for it. Something else here. Watch out for compromising seasons. That's an interesting one. Compromising seasons. The reason for that is in times of extreme high or extreme low, we are vulnerable to the enemy. When you get depressed, you are vulnerable to the enemy. When you, things are going really, really well, and, and if we're not careful, we can think it's all because of us, and we're, we're vulnerable to the enemy. In times of extreme boredom, or times when we're all alone, when we feel all alone, we are susceptible to temptation. You need to be very careful. Sometimes we can't avoid them. Should you never be on the mountaintop because you might have temptation there? That's not the point. 
The point is, watch out for them, know what's happening, right? And be careful. Number two, we've got to call out temptation and own our part in it. We've got to call it what it is. We say, okay, I'm being tempted right now. Being tempted is not a sin. Falling into the temptation, that's where the sin happens. So we call it out. I'm being tempted. We remove ourselves from the situation. We don't blame the devil. We don't blame God. We don't blame other people. We say, this is coming from within me, and I'm removing myself. Own it. Call it out. Make a change. Number three, practice the 20-minute rule. Practice the 20-minute. What, what do you mean, Pastor Raymond? You know, I've found with most people that moments of extreme uh, allurement or extreme desire to go after a temptation, if you can hold off 20 minutes, that temptation will subside. 20 minutes. Yours might be 15, others might be 25, but if you can say no for 20 minutes, normally the feeling will pass. You ever go to a restaurant, had a great meal, they bring out that dessert tray, you didn't even want a dessert, they brought out that tray, you cannot resist it now. Oh, Lord, you start sweating. What am I going to do? You're thinking about how many calories I've had to that day. You're looking at your wife. What do you do next? You look around the table. Who's doing it with me? Who's going in with me? All right, I did it, I did it this week twice. I'm not even going to lie to you. I'm like, who's in? Who's in? We're, if we're going down, the ship's all going down together, right? But, you know, if you can, I really don't need the dessert, don't really want the dessert, but I have this extreme desire. If I could wait 20 minutes and get out of the restaurant, why are you laughing at me? Because you were one of them. You went down with me. I, ain't even, I, I know. If I could wait 20 minutes and get out of the restaurant, I'd probably never think about sugar the rest of the night. But when I'm looking at it, it's extreme, especially if they have my stuff on the menu, right? If you can wait 20 minutes, you'll overcome more temptation than you ever thought possible. If you can just wait out the 20-minute rule, okay? Number four, be accountable to someone. You need to have someone in your life when you can call and say, man, we got to talk right now. Hey, girl, we got to talk right now. This is, I mean, this, this dude came by in those Wranglers one more time. I, if he stops at my desk, it's going to be over. I'm going to flip the hair and the whole thing. I'm going I'm to pull out my flirt voice from when I was 18 years old. I don't even know if it works. It might be squeaky and hoarse. I don't even know. But I'm, so, if he walks by one more time, pick up the phone, call somebody and get some help. Y'all okay? All right, there's the, there's the practical for you. James chapter 1, verse 17, and I'm come, coming to a close here now. Whatever is good and perfect come down, comes down to us from God our Father, who creates all the lights in the heaven. He never changes or casts a shadow. Here's what I love about God. He's not tempting you. He's wanting to give you good and perfect things. If it's good and it's perfect, it comes from God. If it's tempting, it is not from God. He will not tempt you. But I love this word right here. He says, who created all the lights in the heavens. In my Bible, there's a star beside it. Because they believe the actual translation here is he's the father of lights. He's giving us a picture here. Our world goes from day to night. And God, the Father of light, is sending light from the sun to the earth. And right now, if you walk outside these walls, the sun's going to be shining bright and it's going to be hot. 
But about 9 o'clock tonight, 10 o'clock tonight, it's going to be pitch black. There's going to be no light. And here's what, here's what he's saying. You can get in those times of darkness and think that God has forgotten you, but he hasn't forgotten you. If you can just bear through the night, he's already sent the light. Can I ask you a question? When it's dark, has the sun really stopped shining? No. We're just being blocked from seeing it. The sun is always shining. We just can't see it. But if we can hang on till the morning, that light, those good and perfect gifts, those ability to overcome all the things you've been asking God for, they want to come your way. This week begins the last month of the Jewish calendar. It's the month of Esul. And this month is a, is a very important month. It happened when the children of Israel had sinned against God and they had created a golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain. So they come down, he breaks the calf, and then they go into a time of repentance, asking God to forgive them for about 40 days. And then the, the, then the law was given again. It leads right up to the Jewish New Year, which happens next month. So this idea here, uh, uh, Pastor Brennan, I'm going to get you to help me really quickly. This idea here, the picture in the Hebrew, remember when we study Hebrew, it's words, but it's words describing pictures. Come right here for me. And the picture is this, okay? You're going to be God today. The picture is this, because of our sin, because we have fallen into temptation, we are now back to back with God. Back to back has an idea of walking away. Back to back has the idea of giving up. Back to back has the idea of separation. But you've seen in movies as I have, the couple comes together, they have this major fight, and they turn away and walk away in opposite directions. And as movie watchers, we're sitting on the edge of our seat, and we're just praying, please, can you turn around and look? And at some point, the man turns and looks, hoping he'll catch the glaze of the woman. You're now the woman in the scene. But she's still walking away, afraid to turn and look. We're begging, please look, please look. They never look. The man turns away. And about that time, the woman looks back. And we're begging, look one more time. Look one more time, sir. She's there. They want to be together. Both sides want to be together. But how do we make this thing work if they're walking away? She gives up. She turns away. And they continue walking in their opposite directions. We've all been there. When we're begging for that moment of reconciliation, where you can see something in their hearts that wants to come back together, but they've got to look at the same time. The problem with back-to-back -back is it is not a reality. It's a perception. You see, the goal of the month of Asul is to go from back-to-back to face-to-face, -to, -back to, -face, to move from a time when we feel back-to-back -back with God because of our sin to a time when we are face to face with God. Back in relationship. Walking with Him again. Here's the problem. We think 
because we're looking away, God's looking away. We think that because of our sin, He won't look at us. So, so if I'm looking this way, in my frustration, in my shame, in my sin, in my giving in to temptation, if, if I'm looking this way, then God must be looking way, this way. But the truth is, He never turned His back on us. And this is what the month is about, understanding that it is the heart of God not to walk away from us, but He keeps following us everywhere we go. And as we walk away, He is with us. And all we have to do is turn our face back to God. And now we would find ourselves face to face with the God who created us, who wants to be in relationship with us and wants to forgive us and wants to give us a fresh start. But we have to turn back to Him. It happens one way. It happens by turning back to God and saying, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Here's what Jesus, uh, John said. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. It's a time of repentance to say, Father, I'm sorry. I've blamed it on everyone else, but it was me, and I've sinned. And I've fallen away from you. Could you close your eyes and bow your head with me for just a moment? If you want to make that change. And you want to stop being back to back with God. And you want to be face to face with God. I want to lead you through a simple prayer. Would you just raise your hand so I know who I'm talking about right now? Yeah, I see hands going up everywhere. If you're watching online. Yeah. Okay, you can put them down. If everyone in the room, everyone watching online will repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry I turned away from you. That I fell into sin and to temptation. Forgive me. I love you, Jesus. I confess all my sins to you. And I receive your forgiveness. I receive your righteousness. I want to live for you and walk with you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.